0: Hallelujah. Father, this afternoon, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that you are amazing in our lives. We thank you for the privilege that we have today to stand before you to worship and to praise you. We thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for good health and for sound mind. Lord, we are asking that as we continue this service that your amazing grace will rest upon us that at the end of this service we have all cause to give glory to your name for we pray with faith and with thanksgiving in jesus mighty name amen amen Amen. good afternoon please be seated hallelujah let's give a hand to the to the band amen they've done a good work praise god amen well good afternoon kensington temple it's good to be back with you once again uh, to minister the word of God to you. I want to say thank you to Pastor Colin for asking me to come back uh, to preach on this platform. It's always an honor and a privilege to stand on this platform. And I also want to um, to welcome those who are in the coronet just across the road from us. God bless you. Uh, May God bless you there in the coronet. Thank you, Christian, for Uh, The work that you are doing with your team there and with Toyin and also those people in the overflow behind me downstairs in the in the lower hall and all of you tuning in or downloading this message uh, on the internet God bless you all as you join with us this afternoon amen Um, the title of my message this afternoon uh, is the confidence of faith amen the confidence of faith Um, faith teachers tell us that faith is like the two sides of a coin and that's believe and faith and the two words are used interchangeably in scripture when we talk about faith we talk about belief and one thing that we know is that we cannot prove our faith until we take actions so when we say we believe in God we believe in a promise of God uh, to show that that translates into faith we've got to take action Our action may be to do something, to give something, to go somewhere. Uh, Like Abraham, you might have to go to your own Mount Moriah to attempt to sacrifice. Isaac. There has to be an action of faith uh, that we need to take. But in between the two sides of the coin uh, is what I call confidence. The confidence of faith. And I was saying at the nine o'clock service that I remember that uh, years ago in in my country of birth, Nigeria, that we had a silver coin, a silver coin that was part of the of the of the money system in Nigeria and w- was very thick and it's in two parts, two, two sides, two, two different coins uh, that were glued together. Amen. And so when we talk about two sides of the same coin, uh, that, that picture comes to me all the time. But then there was something that held those two parts together. Uh, probably they were, they were sold, uh, sold out together. I, I don't know whether it's what's super, super, super glue because they never really came apart. I don't know. But if we view faith like that, that it's the two sides of the same coin, then what is it that is holding those two sides together? And I believe is our confidence it is the confidence that we have in God amen and also Bible teachers tell us that faith can also be viewed belief and faith can be viewed as two sides uh, of a track of a train track when you want a train to run perfectly and well you lay two tracks for them and so without those two tracks the train cannot run and I'm not talking about the underground tube now because I had a very good look this morning as I, was about, as I was about to get into the central line, and I'm talking about train tracks this morning. I better have a good look. And there were no two tracks. Yeah, there were some, you know, more than about four or three there, you know, from what I could see. But when I'm talking about the overground train, when you look at the overground train, there are two tracks that the train must run on. And then in between those two tracks is the plank, the wood, that connects them together. And that is confidence. Our confidence in what we believe is what causes us to take action that manifests as our faith. Without that confidence, we are not able to take action. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. So if you are ready this morning, please go with me to the book of uh, 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. The Epistle of John. The first epistle of John chapter 5. And I want to read um, uh, four verses, different verses. I want to read verse 1, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 14. 1 John 5 from verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And so in these three verses, we see that John was writing uh, to the believers and saying to them, If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you are born of God. If you believe that Jesus Christ is, Jesus is the Christ, you are born of God. Then in verse 4, he says, if you are born of God, or whatever is born of God, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So our faith is connected to what we believe. And our belief primarily is in that Jesus is Christ. And because we believe that, the Bible clearly states that we are born of God. Now, if we are born of God, the Bible says that for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So our faith overcomes the world for us, the world for us, because we believe, we believe, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. And then in verse 5, he says, who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in verse 4, he connects that to our faith. That our belief in Jesus being the Son of God, because we are born of God, that is the faith that we have that gives us the confidence that we can overcome the world. Can I hear you say amen? amen? Now, please go with me to verse 14. Verse 14. It now says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. This is the confidence that we have in him. After he's told us about being born of God, after he's told us about our faith overcoming the world, after he's told us that we, we, because we are born of God, we believe that Christ is, uh, Jesus is Christ, he comes to verse 14 and he says to us, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone, sorry, that's where I want to stop. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So if we are born of God, it means that we believe that Jesus is Christ. If we believe that Jesus is Christ, we are born of God. And therefore, we are designed for victory. Victory through our faith. And that faith gives us confidence that when we pray to God, when we ask anything from him, we have confidence that he hears us. Now, recently, my, my challenge with some of the members of our fellowship in Walthamstow has been this confidence in him. I have people come to me and say, I believe God wants to give me a new job. I believe God wants to do this in my life. I believe, I believe, I believe. But then when it comes to that part of taking actions that proves that you believe and that proves that you are working in faith, something goes wrong. People panic. People panic. And as I pray and I sought God, I discover that, the enemy is eating at the confidence of the people. Because of circumstances and situations surrounding them, uh, the, the, the confidence begins to go down. The, uh, yeah, yesterday morning, we were praying. We, we have our 5.30 prayer meeting in, uh, in Walthamstow. Every Saturday morning, we gather together at 5.30 to pray. And the previous Saturday, this lady who... Uh, I've been ministering to for quite some time because of some of the challenges that she's gone through, very, very difficult challenges that she's gone through that has done a lot of damage to her confidence. The worst thing that happened to her in her own words was that her daughter doesn't even want to come and visit her. And I began to walk with her and pray with her and encourage her. And finally one day I had to tell her and I had to say to her, look, your, your, your daughter is not proud of you. Stop trying to live your life through the life of your daughter Don't blame her for everything She's young, she's a teenager She sees life through a different perspective Where you shower your love on her And you expect her to respond in one way or the other She may not be responding that way Because that's, she's a teenager And I said to her Do you want your, your daughter to be drawn to you? She said yes I said then you've got to improve your life You've got to go forward in your life. And to cut the long story short, she took the challenge up, she signed off for a job, she became one of the best teachers in the school, and now she's decided that she's going to go to uni. She did all her exams and passed everything except mass. And um, she failed three times. But because she's an adult she was going through the adult learning they decided to give her one more chance so two saturdays ago she came to me she said pastor i've done everything i know to do i've done this i've practiced this they said this i'm just panicking every time i go to do this exam everything goes off my mind i can't remember anything and i said it's your confidence and i said to her have you studied she said yes did you do all the practice that you're supposed to do she said, "Yes." Did you take this very seriously? She said, In your own mind, now you're not deceiving yourself, do you think you have prepared for this exam? She said, yes. And I said, then there's one more thing that you need to do. When you get behind that desk trying to write that paper, instead of panicking, say to the Holy Spirit, please help me remember the things that I learned. And so, this yesterday, she came for the prayer meeting again. And we're just about to round up. And she said, Pastor, I've got to say something. And then she took some time and shared the testimony. And she said, I know it is God because when the man came to me and said to me, I have passed. I said to him, how? (laughs) How? And the man said, you've passed. I mean it, you've passed. And she said again, how? Oh, so the man said to him, to her, sorry, the man said to her, you passed by one mark. (laughs) And she said to me, Pastor, I know that was God. Now, when she came to my office, I did pray with her. But what I did especially was to encourage her and help her build her faith in God. That as she sits behind her desk writing that paper, that God is sitting with her there. And that instead of spending time panicking, with her hands shaking, she should just close her eyes, focus on the Holy Spirit, and ask God for help. And that was what she did. And she got her miracle. And I come across Christians all the time that it's not that they don't believe. It's not that we don't believe. It's not that we don't want to take actions of faith. It's just that our confidence is attacked by the enemy. Our confidence is attacked by situations and circumstances. Our confidence that the enemy tries to stop and block whatever we want to achieve. Uh, sometimes he, he even hires counselors against us that attack our confidence. But I've come today... To encourage somebody here today that you need to hold on to your confidence oh you have no choice you have to hold on to your confidence when the seas are raging when the sands of life are sifting you've got to take say to yourself I choose to believe and I choose to hold on to my, to my confidence in 2 Chronicles twenty twenty, most of us know the story. The king, Jehoshaphat, was going to war. And there was a prophecy that says, you would not have to fight in this battle. And yet the enemy is there gathering. The kings are gathered against him. And he believed. But he needed the people of Judah and everybody around him to believe. So he stands up in front of the whole army and says to them, Believe in the Lord your God. Believe, believe, believe in the Lord your God. You will be established. Believe in his prophets. You will prosper. Believe. And there will be people who said, who will be there and say, I, You know, I believe. But how we have to go to this battle without fighting and just singing praises is what I don't understand. I believe God can deliver this I army mean, into our hands. I believe we can have victory. But this business of singing and saying for His good, for His mercies, and just forever, I, I can't understand it. And that's how the enemy works in our mind. And so I looked at the definition of confidence. And Wikipedia says confidence is described as a state of being certain. But I want to add one word to the state. I want to say that confidence is the state of mind of being certain. Our faith, our belief has to do uh, with things that are tangible, but are not visible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. Faith has substance. Faith has evidence. It's just that we cannot see it. Not that they are not tangible, but we cannot see them. We cannot see the substance. We cannot see the evidence. And that's faith. But when it comes to confidence, I want to to say here today that it has to do with the state of our mind. And the reason why I believe that is in Hebrews 10. Please go with me to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. from verse 32. Hebrews 10 from verse 32, it says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. Partly while you were made a spectacle Both by reproaches and tribulations and partly why you became companions of those who were so treated. Verse 34. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Let me pause there for a minute before we go to the next verse. Now, a lot of people believe that, um, you know, Paul wrote the, 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 uh, the book of Hebrews. Some people say it's not him. You know, whatever you believe. But whoever wrote was talking about the faith and the endurance of these Hebrews. Was talking about how they endured great persecutions, great, great sufferings, even to the effect that their goods were being plundered, but yet they did not move. Their faith was not affected. But then in verse 35, he says, sorry, verse 35, he says, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Therefore, do not cast away. This is something that you do yourself. Maybe when you are challenged by tribulations and and." and, and and persecutions, and and things that seem not to go the way you expect them to go, there's a challenge to your faith, and there's a tendency for us to want to cast away our confidence. And when we do that, the connection between the track of belief and the track of faith is broken. And that's why I've come to tell somebody here today, do not cast away your confidence, because the reward of that is coming, and the reward is great. Can I hear you say amen? amen? Hallelujah. Now let's look at what Jesus, I believe Jesus, ministered to a man who was about to cast away his faith. Who was about? To be moved to that point where he, would, he was about to think everything is lost. And please go with me uh, to, to Matthew. Sorry, Luke, Luke chapter 8. Let's look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I want to read from verse 40. Luke chapter 8 from verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the bother of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. Hallelujah. Now, a couple of minutes ago, the Ajokus brought their son to be dedicated. And uh, Pastor Dudley said, there's a testimony about this, this child, isn't it? And they gave the testimony. And you saw that, you know, Mr. Ajoku was, uh, you know, going on and his wife had to say, no, l- let's, l- let me say this. You know, let, let, me, let me help you with this testimony. You know, and, um, well, they, they did very well in, in that they, they kept to the time. Amen. They, 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 they called their story short. But I come from a home church where when you want to give testimonies you cut everything short when it's testimony Sunday you know the praise and worship which is usually 45 to one hour is cut, cut down to 30 minutes announcements 10 minutes is cut down to five minutes you know you cut down everything to accommodate the testimony especially when you have one kind of a woman one particular woman in my home church anytime she comes to give testimony Everybody goes, oh. <laughs> because once she comes on the platform and she's handed the microphone, <laughs> she gets the microphone, she takes up the microphone, she goes like this. she gets to number three praise the lord there are two pastors standing beside her (laughs) you need to go to the point now go straight what has god done in your life what did god do for you just tell us what god did no i i want you see three years ago no no start from yesterday (laughs) no just tell us exactly what god did well it was three years ago no no start Start from six months ago. Amen. When this woman comes on the platform, we all go, oh, it's going to be a short message today. (laughs) Because she wants to tell her story. So you can imagine this woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. She's been to physicians. She's been to doctors. They took her money. Nothing happened to her. Finally, she came by faith saying, I believe if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. And she was made well. And she was sneaking away and Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. And she knew she was no longer hidden, so she came. And the Bible says that coming before Jesus, she fell on the, on the ground, trembling before, before him. And she told her story. Wow. You can imagine how long she took to tell the story. If somebody prays the Lord, it takes 15 minutes. <laughs> this woman who's just had a fantastic miracle, her testimony, I believe, must have taken, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't know. But it was enough time for the daughter of Jairus to die. So you can imagine this ruler of the synagogue looking at this woman. Talking to Jesus, and thinking I should have come with the synagogue guards. <laughs> Who is this woman? What, oh God, what have I done that this woman came to stop Jesus on my own day to get a miracle for my daughter? So many things must have been going on in his mind. Jesus must have noticed that he was fretting. Now I have three daughters. And if any one of them, God forbid, is lying at the point of death. (laughs) And somebody is giving a testimony. (laughs) Maybe, you know, my doctor says I'm coming, but there's a patient who's just been healed of cancer, and she's come to tell me that uh, she's just been healed of cancer. I'll be with you. I I will say, can I talk to the woman? You can imagine the father probably leaving his house and telling everybody in the house that if I can get to Jesus before she dies, if Jesus can come before she dies, if I can bring the rabbi, the teacher, before she dies, I know my daughter will leave. And now there's this testimony, trembling, giving woman, delaying Jesus. And finally somebody comes from his house and says, Oh, your faith is, you know, everything has gone bad. Don't trouble the man anymore because now your daughter is dead. And the Bible says that when Jesus heard that, he turned to him and he said to him, Do not fear, only believe. You had a belief in your heart before you came to me. That I'm able to do this that I'm able to lay my hands on your daughter and she will be healed don't cast away that belief. don't cast away that confidence that brought you to me even though I have been delayed even though I'm taking a testimony even though I've given this woman time to share her story with everybody do not be afraid Only believe. Do not cast your confidence away. Hold on to your confidence. Because your circumstances has changed. Your situation has changed. It's gone from bad to worse. But I have not changed. I haven't changed. I am the God of all flesh and I change not may pass away but my word will not pass away I am Jesus the Christ I am the same yesterday today and forever your circumstances may change your situation may change while you are waiting on your miracle it may have gone from bad to worse but I your Lord I change not I change not I change not And I've seen testimonies upon testimonies in the past one month as I've been ministering to people not to cast away their confidence, not to allow the enemy to come and erode your confidence and bring discouragement and say, well, what are you still waiting for? As we read in the epistles, we read that the story of the lives of Christians who their faith and their belief about the return of Jesus Christ was like, it's going to happen tomorrow. So much so that they greeted themselves with the words, Maranatha, the Lord is at hand. He's coming soon. He's coming soon. Ten years, he hasn't come back. Twenty years, thirty years, forty years, fifty years, a thousand years, two thousand, you know, years. And in the lives of those Christians, their confidence when is he coming back? When is he coming back? And there are people who challenge us today also. You said this, your Jesus is coming back. When exactly is he coming back? After all, you greeted yourself in the in early the Christian's uh, life time, Maranatha, the Lord is at hand, he's at hand, he's coming back soon. There are people who tell us that, who, who ask us that question. I want to say to you, Don't cast away your confidence. They don't know what they are talking about. But you do. You do because you know the one who said I'm coming back is coming back. One of the greatest hopes of Christianity that requires our confidence and our faith and our belief to hold on to is the fact that we know the life that we have now is not the end of it. There's a life after this life. And it's a glorious one for each and every one of us that is born of God. And so I plead with you not to cast away your confidence. Do not let bad news from the TV. Do not let horrible news from the newspaper talk to you and erode your confidence in what you believe about the God that you serve <laughs> hallelujah we must think we must as Christians think about what we believe why we believe and who we believe I saw a DVD it's called dust it's it's, it's part of the series that was called uh, that is called the Numa series it was done by a pastor in America who unfortunately uh, his doctrine has gone haywire now. And he's been asked by his elders to leave his church, so he's you know planting another church somewhere in, in the states. But some of his DVDs were fantastic. And that's one of the things that I've learned as a pastor that sometimes you have to learn not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Some of these people they just you know get distracted and derailed, they they go, you know, they, they miss they miss it somewhere along the line. But this man uh, did a DVD that was called Dust. And in that DVD, he was talking about how the Jewish children learn the three stages of education in in the old uh, times about how Jewish children learn. Some of them still follow that tradition. In fact, I believe that that's where we, we got our idea of primary, secondary, and tertiary education from. As a young child from age 5 to about age 10, you learn the first five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. By heart. By heart. And then probably I think from 11 or from 12, you learn the rest of the Old Testament by heart. So your first stage of learning is the first five books of Moses to be able to recite it. The second stage is learning the complete Uh, The the, the, the Old Testament completely and then the third stage of learning is when you go and apply to a rabbinical school You go to a rabbi and you say I want to Carry your yoke. I want to come and help bear your yoke. You know Jesus Christ said uh, Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest My yoke is easy and my burden is light." What he was talking about yoke there is uh, his teachings the yoke of a rabbi are his teachings. So when a rabbi says to a student, Can you bear my yoke? Can you carry my yoke? He said to the student, Can you know what I know? For because, before you are ever accepted by a rabbi into his rabbinical school, the rabbi must believe in you to be able to learn what he knows, believe what he believes, and be able to do what he's able to do. So when Jesus Christ said to the disciples when he called them and said come follow me he says come into my rabbinical school you will know what I know, you will believe what I believe and you'll be able to do what I'm able to do now when when we read the gospels and we come to the place where Peter walked on water we know Peter walked on water by faith but for goodness sake (laughs) What was he thinking when he stepped out of that boat? Today we say, "Well, he walked on the water." Yes, and he did. Jesus said, "Come," and he obeyed. He stepped out by faith and walked on the water. But there was something that connected Peter's faith belief to his action that proved his faith, and that was his that was his confidence in the one who said, "Come," because from his jewish mindset he knows that if the man walking on this water is jesus christ my rabbi then as his disciple i can do what he can do i can believe what he believes and i can learn what he knows that was peter's state of mind when you are waiting on god for your miracle what is your state of mind? Because your state of mind will either help your confidence or destroy your confidence. Recently, I was looking again at the book of Ezra. And I read from chapter 1 to chapter 7. And I had to go back again and read from chapter 1 to chapter 7. Because I saw some things that I believe the Holy Spirit was highlighting to me. There was a decree by God, because he spoke through a prophet, and said, there's going to be a a king called Cyrus, that is going to come from Persia, and he's going to release the children of Israel back into their country to rebuild the temple and the wall of Jerusalem. And when that time came, as you read Ezra chapter 1, When that time that God had spoken about came, God himself stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, and he made a proclamation, a decree, saying, "Who are there any Jews in my realm that wants to go back to Jerusalem and build the temple of the great God and all that? And some people rose. The Zerubbabel rose. Ezra rose, and they, they were given... Uh, everything that they needed with a decree from God. From, uh, they had the, God, the, the word of God that had been spoken years, years and years before Cyrus was even born. They had that, the prophecy of Jeremiah. Then they had the decree of Cyrus the king to go back and build the temple. But when they got there and they restored worship and they laid the foundation, they began to lay the foundation of the temple. The Bible says, some people came to them and said to them, we want to build with you. Because from the days of Esahadon, who brought us to this ground? We know we're not Jews, but we've been sacrificing to your God. So now let's help you build the temple. And they said no to them. You can't build with us. You don't know what we are doing. You have no idea what this is. You are not part of this you know, covenant. Don't build with us. And the Bible says that these enemies of the Jews, they began To discourage them. You think you you puny stuff? You think you can do things like this? And they began to discourage them. That did not work. The Bible says that they went and hired counselors. To come and discourage them. You may be here today, the enemy has hired counselors. Against you saying, that dream, that vision that God has given you, what makes you think you can do it? This is the word of the Lord to you today. Ignore them and carry on building. Because you have the word of the Lord. You have the word of the Lord asking you to build. Now please understand that these people are not building in rebellion. Because I've been to to, uh, meetings, pastors' meetings, when pastors want to be rebellious. And you preach this kind of message. That's the excuse. Now that's the confirmation for me that I must leave that ministry and go and start my own. No, that's not what I'm saying. That's what I would do. Even when God has not spoken. God said I should, you know, I should ignore counselors. You know, I hired counselors against me. Uh, and I should go on building. That, that's my confirmation that I must leave my wife and go and marry my secretary. No, that's not what I'm saying. Oh, that's my confirmation. I must build my life alone now, so I need to divorce my wife. No, no, or divorce my husband. No, no, that's not. Or walk out of this man. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's a prophetic word saying the house of God will be built. If you are doing that, you are trying to destroy the marriage. You are trying to destroy the house of God. That's not what this is all about. But then they continue building and then these adversaries went and wrote a letter to king ahasuerus now cyrus was probably dead by now or probably ahasuerus was the reigning supreme leader and they didn't say to them they didn't write a letter to ahasuerus saying you know we wanted to stop this jews from building because yeah, we know that they have a decree from Cyrus. No, they never mention anything about the word of God about the decree of Cyrus. They wrote to, to, to sorry, taxes, not Ahasuerus, Ataxis. They wrote to Ataxis, saying to Ataxis, there are these Jews who have returned from captivity. They are rebuilding the world and they are building this great temple to their God. But we want the king to know that these people are rebellious people. They are rebellious people. If you don't stop them now, they will stop paying taxes to you, and destruction will come upon your kingdom. So let there be a search made in the archives of the king about this city. And so a taxis made a search, and he discovered that, yes, Jerusalem was a great city, had great kings, and there were times that they rebelled against some other kings. So he sent another decree that he must stop the building of the temple. And the funny thing was that they stopped. Now, the Bible says that these adversaries came to them with arms and they forced them to stop. Now, I can understand that. I can understand that when they came and said, you must stop, there's a decree here that says you must stop. Uh, I expected them to stop and say, well, let's go get our own decree. There's a decree before this decree that says we must build. But the Bible says that they stopped. And as I read the story over again, I saw that when those adversaries were bringing the decree to stop the building of the house of God, God didn't kill them. It was his house. And I began to ask myself questions. Why did God not stop them? Maybe their horses should have, you know, fallen into the sea or something. Or their donkey should have fallen down and, you know, Maybe they could have broken their necks because God is fighting him, fighting their, his enemies. And then I came to the understanding that no, God had already given them his word. He had also allowed a king to issue a decree to that effect. So they have the witness of two kings, the king of kings and King Cyrus. And there was no reason for them to doubt and stop building. Yes, because they didn't have weapons at that time Maybe they should stop But they should have carried on building But thank God The Bible says that some prophets rose up And they began to prophesy to them To begin to build And then the Zerubbabel rose up And they began to build And the Bible says that as they began to build The eyes of God came upon them And their enemies were not able to come near them What was it that Stop them from building. I believe it was fear. Fear of weapons and lack of confidence. Maybe they went back to their homes that day and they were thinking, the elders sat down and they were thinking, what is happening? Why is God allowing this to happen to us? Why wouldn't God do something about this? Remind me about about a story that um, was told by the late Kenneth Hagin. And I know a lot of people don't like Kenehagen. Um, there are some doctrines that I don't agree with. But he was a fantastic faith teacher. He told a story. And he said that the Lord Jesus came into his room one day. And they were having a conversation. They were talking. And that um, a demon appeared. And the demon began to talk. And as the demon began to speak. It was like smoke was coming up, and the smoke was appearing to be a screen. And the higher the smoke went, the more difficult it, you know, it, it became for him to hear Jesus properly. And as the smoke was going up, and the voice of Jesus was becoming fainter and fainter, and he couldn't hear Jesus anymore, he said he was wondering and said, "Why won't Jesus do something about this?" No, he was wondering. He could. Jesus couldn't hear him. He couldn't hear Jesus. He was thinking, Jesus, why won't you do something about this? And then he said, suddenly he just decided and said, you this demon, I bind you in Jesus' name. Out you go. And boom, the smoke went and the demon went. And now he could hear Jesus. And then he said, he said to the Lord, Lord, why didn't you deal with that demon? Why didn't you do something? You you saw that I couldn't hear you anymore. Why didn't you do something about that? And Jesus said to him, why should I? I gave you the authority to do that. Amen. It's amazing that the appearance of a pinny little demon made him forget, affected his confidence in the fact that he was he's able to bind the demon and cast it out. No wonder the writer of Hebrews was saying to this his listeners, saying, don't cast away your confidence because your confidence in who you believe Your confidence in who you believe has great reward. And when the challenges of life comes, like it came for Jairus, his only daughter, 12 years old, was about to die. There was another woman with another 12 years of story. Sometimes the Bible, sometimes you wonder. The daughter was 12 years old. That was exactly when the woman started her issue of blood. So you can imagine how long it took her to tell the story of 12 years. Her testimony of 12 years. And then the circumstances of Jairus got from bad to worse. And yet Jesus Christ said to him, only believe. Don't cast away your confidence. Oh, let me repeat it to, to you again. Your situation may change. Your circumstances may change. It may go from bad to worse. But I want to assure you once again, that the one in whom you believe, the one in whom you put your confidence, has not changed. And he will never change. I am the Lord, I change not. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus says to us. Heaven and earth may pass away, but there's not one single full stop in my word that will pass away. And so what is that word of prophecy? What is that promise that God has given you? What is it in your life right now that is not lining up with the promises of God for your life? I have a word for you today. Do not cast away your confidence. Only believe. Only believe. And when you believe, take the actions that are corresponding to your faith and to your belief. And let your confidence be rock solid. Because you know in whom you have believed. Some of us Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelicals. There's a common mistake amongst us. And sometimes we get carried away by the fact that we can pray in the spirit for hours. We get carried away by the fact that we can fast and pray. We get carried away By the fact that we spend several hours in the world. We get carried away by the fact that we evangelize. We get carried away by the the fact that we are in discipleship. I want to say to you, people of God, do not let your confidence be in what you do. Let your confidence be in whom you have believed Because that's why when our finances are not lining up when our children are not lining up we begin to murmur and grumble and we begin to complain but Lord I give my tithes and my offering for this Nigerian man shouting this day brought a green envelope one day and I gave that is the enemy trying to eat away at your confidence You must say no to him and hold on to that which you believe. I want you to please remember to hear the voice of Jesus Christ in your ears saying, only believe. I want you to hear the words of the writer of Hebrews saying, do not cast away your confidence. So as you live here today, I want you to go back into the archives because when Ataxis wrote the, the decree, and the prophets prophesied. And they began to build again. They told the adversaries that we have a decree of Cyrus saying we must build. You write back to Darius. Tell Darius to look in his archives. Now let him look in the right place. He will find that decree about us. That Cyrus made that we should build this temple. And when they went back to Darius, and Darius made a search of the archives, of course, they found the decree of Cyrus. And you know, one thing, people of God, is that in those days, when you issue a decree, it cannot be canceled. It cannot be canceled. You have to issue another decree. Whereas in democratic governments, you could... You know issue a law and amend the law <laughs> But for, from, for those of us who come from countries where we've had military dictators, they rule by decrees One of the decrees that scared most of our journalists away from Nigeria was decree number four And decrees cannot be amended you have to issue another decree to cancel that decree That's why when military dictators come in the first thing they do is they suspend the, the Constitution they begin to rule by decrees There's a similarity in the realm of the spirit you may issue a decree because the Bible says you shall decree a thing and it shall come to pass maybe there's somebody issuing another decree or maybe there was a decree that the person is issuing the decree because they don't know the decree that was there before it is our responsibility to tell our taxes or Darius, or whoever is issuing the decree that we have the supreme decree from the almighty God. There are some people here today, I believe, all you need to do is to hold on to your confidence. There are some people here today, I believe, all you need to do is to hold on to your belief. And there are some people here today that I believe you just need to get up and issue another decree. When the children of of Judah were coming to destruction in the the days of Esther, Haman uh, uh, manipulated a decree. And when Esther rose up and sought safety for her people, the king said, I'm sorry, I can't cancel that decree. But here is my signet ring. Here is paper and pen. Write another decree. I don't care what decree the enemy has written over your health, your finances, your family, your children, it is time for you to believe and have confidence that Jesus Christ has given you the power to write another decree. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. And as Christianity comes more and more under attack in the UK and in Europe, let's understand that we must never allow our confidence to wane. We must never cast off our confidence. We must keep believing in whom we have believed. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. Because he doesn't change. And he will never change. And he's not a liar, he's not the son of man that he should lie. Neither does he change his mind. For what he has spoken will come to pass. For he said the words that have spoken, they will not return to me void. They will go where I have sent them and they will prosper. The word of God that you've had today will prosper in your life. Only believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's bow down our heads to pray. You may be here today, you, you have no covenant relationship with Jesus. You are not a Christian yet. You haven't at any point in time in your life confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You are not part of this belief system that I've been talking about. You cannot write a decree because you do not have the authority to write that decree. Only those who are born again can write such decrees. But you've had the word of God today. And you want to become part of the household of God. You want to belong to the kingdom of God. I'm going to lead all of us in a prayer. And I want this prayer to be especially for you. So please say after me, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Let's say it's a bit stronger. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I come to you today. And I confess confess that I am a sinner. Have mercy upon me. me. Wash me from my sins sins. by your blood. blood. Write my name name. in your book of life. life. I believe believe that Jesus is Christ. And and that he is the son of God. God. I believe that you came, Jesus, to die for me. That I may be reconciled to God. So today, I ask that you come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. Be the King that rules and reigns in my life. And I promise to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. All eyes closed, all heads bowed please. If you are here today and you are praying that prayer for the very first time, I want you to do one thing, please. I want you to lift up your hand so that I can see it. I will acknowledge it and then you can bring it down. That is a, a sign that you mean what you have said. You, you, the prayer you've prayed, you mean it. And so if you are here today, you are giving your life to Jesus, or you are praying that prayer for the first time or publicly for the first time, I want you to put that hand up now and then bring it down. So as soon as I acknowledge it, Bring it down. There's a sister right here in the middle here. Thank you. God bless you. you. may bring your hand down. Is there anybody up there in the balcony, in the coronet, in the overflow behind me, downstairs in the lower hall, or even on the internet? Please lift that hand up. Let me see it again. There's, there are two brothers up there in the balcony. Thank you. God bless you. Any other person? There's another brother up there in the balcony. God bless you. At the back there in the balcony. God bless you. In the overflows. You want to give your life to Christ. Please put the hand up again if I haven't acknowledged it. One more time. Let me see the hand and then you can bring it down. Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. I see the hand up there. And the sister there, just to my, to my left in the transept, you are giving your life to Christ today. God bless you. This consolidators are standing with you, but now let's just pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word that has come for today. Thank you for the privilege of hearing your word. Thank you for... The grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the unmerited favor of being lifted to sit with Christ in the heavenly places. In the place of authority. Thank you, O oh God, that we have confidence in you that what you say you will do, you will do because you never change. Our confidence is in not what we do, O oh God. Our confidence is in you because you are the God of our flesh and you change not. Though our circumstances may change, our situations may change, our finances may change, the economy may change, kings may change, queens may change, countries may change. Oh God, we acknowledge today that you never change. And therefore, because of that, Lord, we put our confidence in you. We hold on to your word. And we are expectant that there shall be a performance of that which we have believed. And the glory that we promise will be yours. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good afternoon. Amen.